Last week, we started a new sermon series called Collide, and we're excited to come into our second week this week. We talked last week about fear. We talked about Elijah. We talked about the struggle that he had uh, and during his episode and how he learned to lean in the whisper, the whisper, the voice of God. So this week, we're going to talk about another fear. Uh, we're going to be talking about the life of David and where he had to come against Goliath. We have a make-pretend sling. Uh, some, some of the guys up in the first service gave me a really hard time about this sling. Uh, I thought that was wrong because this young man who let me use this, I was really appreciative and still am. Sam, you out there? Because Sam, if you're out there, I, I still call this a real sling. But um, there's a stone too, and some gave me a hard time that it was smooth, and it really wasn't smooth when he pulled it out of his sack. But let's just call this a stone similar to David. And uh, it, some scholars would believe it was like a tennis ball size. So again, the Wathams, thank you for the nice smooth stone. For some of you that like uh, to get stoned, no, no, I mean to have stones, but not get stoned, but to have stones, uh, these are one in which, you know, they're fun to, to play around with. But here's the ticket. Here's what we have to learn, is that there's all kinds of fears. And today we're going to talk about colliding our faith with control. Not Janet Jackson control, but control. Some of you are too young to know that. There was a song back in the day called Control. But the idea is that when I looked up, um, you know, just an article, it said seven things that you can't control in your life. And one of them, of course, is the weather. You and I know we can't control the weather. Uh, the meteorologists can't even control the weather. They forecast the weather, and when they're not right, boy, we want to throw a stone at them because they're always, they can tend to be wrong. They're usually on track, but sometimes when you want a sunny day and it turns to rain or it's supposed to rain and then it turns into a sunny day, it's frustrating. But you and I, no one can control the weather. Only God can. But also traffic. How many of you get in a car and you don't know what's ahead of you? You might be traveling three hours, five hours, 15, 20 minutes to work or half an hour, an hour to work. And you get in the car and you think you're going to get there on time. The GPS even tells you there are no accidents. You get in the car and about 10 minutes later, there's an accident that holds you up for about 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour. And then if you're traveling long distance, it could end up being three or four hours. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've been there and done that. We've all been there and done that. So we can't control the traffic. And you can't control the past because it's already done. You can learn from your past. You don't want to live in your past, but the past is the past. And some people would say it doesn't matter. It's in the past. That's an expression. But again, you can say that we can't control what has happened already in the past. And then we can't control the future. We don't know what's ahead of us. Um, I could liken it to a professional football player, baseball player, anyone in professional sports where there were upcoming prospects who would go through the different leagues, whether minor leagues or something where they would go and through college and everything looked great until they had that one little accident. We could just slip, trip, and break our ankle, our Achilles, our knee, and we're done. I know you could probably know many prospects in the past. They said there were many that went through the system that could have been better than Babe Ruth, but because of just that one little slip and an accident or something happened, and now all of a sudden that player is gone. It happened to my uncle. It even happened to a nephew of mine who's playing soft, or, or excuse me, soccer, 
and he had his Achilles heel and then, you know, ACL and all of that, and he was done twice. But again, of all that to say is that you can't control the future, nor can you control what other people think in their minds, what other people's minds. If you're married, you know you can't do that. But if you have some close friend or a family member, you know you can't do that. You don't want to enter into someone else's mind because that's a crazy place. So you have your mind, they have their mind. Don't try to figure it out. It's part of us we have to do. We have to learn to say, hey, that's in their mind. It's not in mine. Or bow, bow, other people's happiness. If you wake up, have you remember the movie Enchanted when, you know, the young lady who went from being in a cartoon to real life and especially in New York and here she was all happy-go-lucky and everyone's like, there's no one that happy in New York, but here she was happy and everyone was grumpy. And when you wake up in the morning and your spouse is grumpy and you're happy, try to make that work, uh, vice versa, whatever the case may be with children, all of that to say that people's happiness. You can't force them or control that. You can't make them. And sometimes fights and arguments could come from that because you're wanting to make that other person happy. And so the idea is that there's another one that we can't control, and that is change. Change happens every day. You look in the mirror and you're getting older, change is occurring. <laughs> you look down at your waist, things are changing. <laughs> As you get older, you can't take off the pounds like you once did because your metabolism is lower and slower, and you can't seem to get up. You don't have that pep in your step. And so what happens is you start to move around, and it's just not, you're not losing the calories you once did. Or you know that we live in life where seasons change. People change. Life changes. Change is inevitable. But often we don't want to see change in our lives. I saw another article, it says six reasons we resist change. One is change is not familiar. We like routine. If it ain't broken, don't try to change it or fix it. And it's not familiar to change. It's always about routine. Let's keep doing the same things over and over because it's comfortable. Or change may require work. We don't like things to change because then it would require more effort. And we like to sit back. We look for ways to make sure that we're comfortable. We don't like change. And when change happens too quickly, we could even become depressed. Or you have change may mean that we're not in control. So when something changes, we're no longer in control. And that becomes a Goliath in and of itself. And so all of this to say that change may need to happen. And when it does, then we need help. And we don't like to receive help. We like to do things on our own. Um, what I'm learning as I'm becoming an older parent and my son's becoming older is that I have to learn that my son needs to start doing the work and I need to train him. I need to let him do the work and I need to be his laborer. So when we do projects, we did a project around the house yesterday, I realized I had to let him do the work and I would just clean up behind him. Usually it's the parent or the father and then the son is cleaning up. I'm trying to switch the roles. And the idea is that because I want to show that, hey, you know, it's time to train. It's time to let other people do things. That's what change is about. And that sometimes we want to feel necessary as we get older. But maybe it's best that we allow the younger to become the ones who take our place, to, to take our spots. Here's what it is. And anything we do in life, we got to get ourselves out of a job. So we train someone else, coach them, and get them moving, doing something else. It's notorious in church because with church, people want to keep the same position over and over and over. I've been doing this for 30 years. Well, good. When's your apprentice coming? Because <laughs> 30 years is a long time. When is that next person going to serve? 
We can't keep holding on. In the military, right? I mean, Marcus, in the military, you got to go down the line. The next person needs to go in line. Someone's got to come after you. You can't keep. Change is inevitable. It's got to happen. Our appearances change. Everything changes. And as we're thinking about this, we have to realize that as we look at this story, that could be a Goliath in our lives. As we look at David and we look at Goliath, we want to talk to you, how are we going to face our Goliaths? Well, a couple of things we want to make sure that we establish here, some statements here. We know this. We know that fear will always exist. Fear will always exist. And we are talking about Clyde last week and the stars and how the white dwarf and the massiveness of it, 10, 20, 50 more, times more massive than the sun, and there are two ways in which a star can either, it could do two things. It could have two stars orbiting around each other to where they get close enough and they collapse or they collide and explode. And that's called a supernova. And it explodes into this beautiful, beautiful new picture. And a new two stars making this beautiful picture through a collide. Or it can be that a star is so massive with the gravity and the pushing and the pulling to keep it alive, that the core is so massive and strong that it, 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 it doesn't no longer can hold on its own. It starts to implode, and it implodes and collapses, and it goes into what we call a black hole, and it can be self-destructive. So what we know is that a colliding effect could either create something beautiful or something destructive, more explosive, or it could be an implosion. And so that's why it's like when we have our faith that collides with control, it's always something that we fear. The fear of water, the fear of darkness, the fear of heights, the fear of flying, the fear of yellow jacks and wasps all around you, the fear of rejection, or we would say today, losing control. And so fear always exists. We have to understand it. We can't, see, one of the things Christians are doing too often is they're trying to get rid of fear. But I got to believe that David, and if I, don't, I think this is true, David was afraid when he saw that Goliath and how big he was, but he was willing to trust God over his fear. So fear will always exist, too. We cannot make ourselves bigger than our Goliaths. We cannot. I mean, you've got to understand, David, when we, we have to look at it, was David becoming bigger than Goliath? Could he have done physically? Could David have become bigger than him in the whole story? I don't know what he would have eaten to be able to be big, but we're going to talk about it. But it's like David could not. See, so often as Christians, we think we have to become bigger than our fear in order to come over it. And so we have to understand that that's a statement. So something or someone needs to be bigger than our Goliaths. Something or someone needs to be bigger than our Goliaths. So how do we deal with the Goliaths in our lives? How do we deal with the Goliaths in our lives? Well, some Christians would believe, okay, i got to get rid of the fear. I want to eliminate it, even though it exists. And I have to become bigger than it. So if I become bigger than it, let me make more commitments. Let me pray more. Let me read the Bible more, which are all good. Let me spend more time with Christians away from God. And you know what? My Goliaths will disappear, right? Is that how we deal with it? I don't think so. See, we can't. We can't see that that's not the way. How do we overcome our fear of losing control? 
See, it's not making more commitments. It's not trying to do more. It comes down to what David did in this story, surrender. That's what it comes down to. I think the bottom line is surrender. So if you would look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we look at this story, I just want to highlight a few things before we get started here. 1 Samuel 17, you may have to turn to your, your Bibles here for just a minute. In verse 4, as we see that the backdrop is real simple, the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines. They're on two mountainsides, and in, in the valley, they are to meet or have a battle. And here is notified here in verse 4 of whom that the Israelites, the people of God, the covenant people of God who bear the name of Christ, they would have to fight. This one in verse 4, it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines, the enemies of the Israelites, enemy of God, a champion, one who stood between the two is what the word means in Hebrew, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And let me stop there for a second because scholars believe their Masoretic text in the Hebrew would say six cubits in a span. Now, a cubic was 18 inches. So six cubits in a span a span is nine inches. The Goliath would be nine feet, nine inches. However, in other writings, the Qumran, Josephus, and we look at even other writings, they would see, even, even in the Septuagint, they would see it as four cubics in a span. So four cubics in a span would be six foot nine inches. But let's go a little bit further. Because scholars have been debating on this, believe it or not. There's many things which you debate in the Bible. Here's one thing they debate. Now, when you're looking at the weight of the armor that he was weighing, anywhere estimated in the Hebrew as 125 pounds all the way up to 220 pounds. Now, 6'9 is tall. Shaq is about 7. Andre the Giant was 7'4". The Giant in WWE is 7 foot. But can you imagine wearing 220 pounds on them. That's almost me. I mean, you know, I saw a little bit more than that, but almost putting me on your back. And I don't know, walking around for a long time in battle, putting that kind of weight, I'm not sure if a 6'9", because I know Shaq would still be going like, dang, man, my back hurts, man. This is heavy. Like his back, he's a big guy. He's a giant, right? I would think that he's probably around 9 foot 9-ish, because the tip of his sword was 16 pounds. I don't know, but, you know, to try to balance it and hold it up, not possible because you have to wave it around. So his javelin, his, his sword, his spirit were all heavy because he was a big man. And yet all those stories that the kids would watch and look at, he is a giant. But this is a giant Goliath. So he's facing, and here is David, probably about 5'6", small and runny. So you can see 5'6 and 9'9", amazing of what he's facing. He's truly facing a Goliath. And here he goes on in, in verse 24 through 27. Let me read it to you. And it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Their fear began to implode within them. The core of their beings was full of fear. And the men of Israel said, have you, not, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich in the man who kills him with the great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is an important statement here. We'll see. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So what was David's motivation? Was it to get his daughter? Was his motivation to get some money for his family? To get riches? I mean, he was a young shepherd boy. He probably didn't have a whole lot, but he thought, okay, let me get some money. Money, money, money. He was thinking money. No, that's not his motivation. I think he was deeply disturbed with this Philistine who was an uncircumcised Philistine who defied the name of the Lord because he knew he was a covenant-keeping person of God who was going to hold in relationship with the Lord. He was so bold, and he saw it as a shameful statement, a cursed statement against God. And he took it upon himself, a five, 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 six little runny guy standing up to a nine foot nine inch giant, weighing about 220 pounds of armor. And he said, you have spoken against my God. And here is what happened. So he had to decide, was he going to cower up and run away in fear? Or was he going to face and fight this Goliath in his life? Well, you got to understand, he was not going to willing. He's not, he's not willing to pull away. It was this passion to say, I'm going to do something here. And we have to understand that. How are we going to do it? Are we going to face our Goliaths, whatever they are? How are we going to face them? See, we have to face our Goliaths, similar to what David did. But let's watch what David did. First Samuel, he did it with resolve. In First Samuel 17, 28, 32, we'll see that. He had resolve. He had resolved. Look at the, the passage here. Now, Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Elab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Okay, how many of you are older siblings? Raise your hand. Let me see if I can see you. Help me out. Okay, some of you older. Okay, how many of you are younger like me? I'm the youngest of three. How many of you are younger? Okay. Now, I want to tell you something. Growing up, I used to get pushed around all the time. My brother's like, what are you doing here? You don't need to be here. Get lost. Scram, kid. Get out of here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Hold on a second now. That's not right. How many of you feel like, how many young people right now, you know you're getting picked on because you're younger? Come on, raise your hand. Oh, you, here you go. Okay. All right. We, you know, I, I was sitting there until I got bigger. Until I got bigger. Then my brother started saying, I started picking on them because I got a little bit bigger than them. And all of a sudden, things changed. But here's what happened. He was, Eli was upset because he was like, you don't need to be here. Go do your job. What, are you going to try to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me what to do? David's like, what? What you getting all in my grill for? What's all this about? But here Eli was saying, he even said, he goes, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So what? He came to see the battle. What's the big deal? He came to see the battle. But Elab was actually having something. He had a chip on his shoulder about David. Because David with this puny little kid, how many of you, when you see your little sibling, you're like, get out, scram, get out of here. Well, that's what he was doing. But here's David. And then he turned away. He turned away. And he said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? I mean, what, are you, what, if, what did I do now? Hey, youngers, with me. Come on, you guys who are younger. What do you, what, what, what do you, what do you mean? 
See, this is what he's saying. He's like, but it goes on. He says, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he said for him, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. See, they had no other choice. They lost control of the battle. They saw the, 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 the Goliath, and they said, we can't take him. We're done. It's over, right? But what happened was, here's David, his runny little guy, and he's like, you know what? Don't be discouraged. Don't let any man's heart fail. The word fail in Hebrew means collapse. So what happened was he, they were collapsing in their fear. Remember verse 24, they were afraid, and they collapsed. And David said, don't collapse in your fear. Don't implode because they were heavy weighted and burdened because they saw this Goliath in front of them and they imploded. Here is David, this small little runny individual and said, nah, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to fight. So he goes, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. In other words, that was resolved. He didn't care because at this point, Jesse, his father, didn't think he had it, and his brother thought he didn't have it. Now, let's find out who else thought he didn't have it. Now, in verse 33, we have this, that he has to find out that Saul, see, he was resilient. David was resilient. We need to be resilient. He wasn't giving up because Saul said to David in verse 33, this is how we face our Goliaths with resilience. Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Wow. And he has been a man of war from this youth. I can say logically, if I'm looking at the situation, obviously, logically, you see this small little runny guy and you see this giant. He's like, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's no way he's going to overcome him. Of course, David understands that. But David didn't come with his own strength in his own fight. David was resilient in some other way because here's what he was saying. He goes on to say this, and he has been a man from war from his youth, but he goes, but David said to Saul, your servant, here he goes again, humble, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, this is what he said. He goes, I went after him. So he says, I took the lamb and I went after him. I didn't sit back and cower like you guys right now. And I didn't cower, King Saul. I fought. It didn't matter how big I was. I have a fighting spirit. I'm resilient. I'm doing this. I'm going to believe God's called me to it. And he said this. He goes, and he struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, <laughs> this is a ruddy little guy. And if he came, he's like, he came after me. I said, I caught him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Wow, what resilience. He wasn't willing to give up. He had such passion. He goes, your servant, again, has struck down both lions and bears, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. What resilience, what passion. I mean, he was taunting and taunting and taunting, and David said, I'm not allowing for this. 
David said, he has defied the armies of the living God. You know what, Gath, Goliath of Gath, you may have Dagon and all your Philistines, but I have a living God. I don't have some dead God. I have a living God. I have one who's living in my life, and he's working in my life every day. And you know what? He'll give me the strength to fight this. I'm going to believe, God, that I will strike him down like I've struck down lions and bears with no problem. Why? Because God gave me the strength to do that. And when there's a Goliath, we fight it, we face it, we go after it, just like David went after the lions and the bears. He goes, I'm going after this one. He even says in the Septuagint, it states it like this, should I not go and smite him and remove today reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised one? Even in the Septuagint, it's this spirit of resilience, a resolve saying, I'm going to fight. Where's the last thing? When we face our Goliaths, we have a redeemer. It's not our strength. It's not our strength. It's a redeemer. Look what he says in verse 37. He says, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Now, let me just stop there. The word deliver in two separate words there. One word in Hebrew, but two separate voices there. And in the tense, it's that the first one is a perfect tefel. And in the Hebrew, it means that God's already working. He's the cause of it, and he's working it in that form. So that means God delivered David. And what David is saying, he's delivered me. And in the second word, deliver, is in the imperfect. It's continuous action. He said he will continue to deliver me. In other words, he is confident that God has already delivered and saved me, because that's what that word means in the Hebrew, and he will continue. Today, if God has saved us in Jesus, he promises that he will continue to save us in Jesus. Whatever Goliath you're facing and have faced in the past, he will continue. You might say, well, wait a minute, now, I don't know, Lord. This Goliath is a big one. I mean, you've done it before, but I don't know. This is out of your realm, Lord. I don't even think you are going to have a problem with this one. I really don't think. See, the problem is why we think that way is because we don't want to give up the control. We don't want to give it up. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to say, God, this Goliath I still need to hold on to. How often do we hold on to our fear because it's a measure of security for us instead of letting go of the fear knowing God is our security? God is our strength. He's the one that delivers us. He, we can't deliver ourselves. It's impossible. See, we can't become bigger than the Goliath, and the fear will always exist. Something has to be bigger than us, and that's where God says, I will deliver you, and he did, and David got that. That was, was the case. He knew he had a redeemer, and so Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. This is what we have to be reminded of, that we bear the name of Christ, today, church. We bear the name of God, his covenant, his character, and we have to be reminded of that. But what is your Goliath? Is it miscommunication in marriage? It's creating a big Goliath in your life. Is it managing your children's environments, trying to make sure that there's no harm to them, especially in the world that we live in with sex trafficking and people are trying to kidnap young children now? Or if it's just the fact that there's so much going around where even just locally here, a woman and her mom and, and the grandmother and husband lost his wife and all of that and a child in a burglary the other night, last week. And his life changed in a matter of a moment. And see, he lost control. He couldn't control that. None of us can. We don't know what the future will bring us. We don't know what will happen. This isn't our home. 
God never called us to be in control. God is the one who's sovereign and in control. And we have to understand that what we're called to do is whatever our Goliath is, we have to believe, we have to face it. We can't cower away from it. God's calling us to it. It could be attempting to find a proper spouse, overcoming financial debt, dealing with a difficult loss, facing a medical diagnosis, concerned about COVID and the election. You know, we can't control COVID, nor does it going to have control over us because we as his people are called by his name. And if God calls us to be in his presence forever, then that's a graduation time. But here's the thing. The election, you and I can't control that. Nobody can. But we have a responsibility. It's a four-letter word, V-O-T-E. You need to vote. You have a responsibility, but you and I can't control. Whomever God allows to be the president of the United States should never change what you and I need to do as the church. We are called for biblical justice to stand up, to do what's right outside of these four walls for the kingdom of God. You and I bear the name of Christ and the covenant that he's given to us. And that's what he's called us to. So we have to be reminded, whatever Goliath is coming our way, that we're called to face it with God's strength. This is what we have to be reminded of. We have to remind ourselves that God will never betray two things. David said his covenant. His covenant. He'll never betray his covenant. Verse 41 through 44. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and with his shield in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. And he, he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And it goes on, it says, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Meaning, you think I'm some little dog? I'm nine foot nine. I am the Goliath of Gath. So he says, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, we got to understand something. You can curse anything you want, but once you curse God, now it's God's business to take care of it. So you understand the Goliath has got, we, something's got to be bigger than the Goliath. So the Goliath, oh, there's some fighting words, Goliath. Let me go, let me go, hold, hey, God, come here. He just said something about you. God, come over here. And now it's like it's Goliath against God. It's no longer us against the Goliath. It's God who steps in. Watch this now. He says, And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds and of the air and to the beasts of the field. Well, what we don't remember is what the Abrahamic covenant says. And I don't think Goliath knew this. But this is what it says in Genesis 12, 3. The Lord said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he cursed the name of God. Now God has to deal with him. That's where we know God keeps his covenant. It's not us against the Goliath. It's God against the Goliath through us. It's God's strength. It's his ability. We have to understand that God is doing that because the fear will overcome us. But God's saying, do not fear. I will be with you. Secondly, this, his character. God reminds ourselves, we were reminded that God will never betray his character. So we're reminded that every day that we bear the name of Christ, you bear the name Christian, you call the name Christian, then you have to bear his name. It's a character because God is who he is. He is a God who is perfect. He's God. He's not anything less than, he's not 0.0000001%. No, he can't. He's all God. He's 100% God. He can't be less than 
Um, he can't be 99.99999. He is God and God alone. And David saw that because David said this to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Sabaoth. I come to you, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Shama, I will always be there. Goel, I am your redeemer. Tishkenu, I am your righteousness. Rapha, I am your healer. I am the Lord God of Israel, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You have picked a bone with me, son. I, don't worry, David, I got your back. I love that about God. I don't know about you, but growing up, growing up where I grew up, when I know God has my back, it's a good feeling. Because he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Wow, that's some fighting words. And I will give the, you, give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the hosts to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all that is this assembling may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord. And he will give you into our hand. David was confident and strong because he knew he bare, he bore the name of Christ. He bears the name, the name of God. And you and I today bear the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord promises to be with us. The Lord promises to be with us during these times when there are Goliaths in our lives. And we have to stand strong because there's no boasting in any of us. Boasting in the Lord. Even Jeremiah said it. I love this passage right here in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, what God desires for you and I is to surrender. See, when we pray and read and spend time with our brothers and sisters of Christ, it's relationship. It's all about relationship with God. God will handle all of our Goliaths. We need to spend time and quality time with God to draw closer to him and love relationship. And see, the Goliaths that are so big in our lives is because we spend a little bit of time with God. And the little, little bit of time that we spend with, with, with God, then the Goliaths become bigger. The only way that the Goliaths become smaller is if God handles them while we spend quality time with him. And that's what we have to understand. God was showing David that no matter what kind of Goliath, as big as he was, he was able to fight him. And see, with us, God sometimes places a Goliath in our lives in order to reveal the David in us. Who's that David? That David is the one who's resolved, the one who's resilient, the one who knows he's got a redeemer. The one who knows he has to surrender and not make more commitments. The one who knows that he has that battle in front of him. Finishing the, the, the storyline, he says, When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put in his hand, in his bag, and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. 
you know, I know it's not the kind that just kind of whirls around, but let's just say we'll have some fun and modernly speak here with one of these slingshots, okay? But can you imagine if he's swinging around, swinging around, and then he's throwing it, and it lands right in the middle of his forehead. Perfect accuracy. Boy, David was good, wasn't he? Boy, what an amazing slingshot. What an amazing guy who can do that, right? No. Had nothing to do with David. But God was just trying to show him that. I'll just let you have a slingshot and a stone. See, the Goliath had military. He had his military garb. He had his spear. He had his 200 pounds of military standing there strong. Here, David was supposed to put it on. Saul's trying to put it on him. And he's like, no, I don't need all this. Just give me my sling and a stone. Because what we see here is they said, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Saying, God saying, you don't need all that military garb. You just need me to do it through you. Interesting enough, in Leviticus 24, 16, anybody who curses the name of the Lord will be stoned to death. Isn't it interesting that David chose a stone, which God did, and the stone killed the one who cursed the name of the Lord, who blasphemed God's name? See, he was stoned according to the law. And see, when he cut his head off, it was again likened that he had to show forth all of his enemies that I have killed the one who's the hero. And they fled in verse 51. They said they fled to the west. They took off. See, God is interested in only one thing. He's saying, I just, you focus on me. I'll take care of your Goliaths. I will take care of them. I will make sure that I will create this supernova. If you feel like you're losing control, no problem. Allow me to work in you to collide with your so-called losing of control, and I'll create a supernova in your life. But you got to focus on me. God is calling for each of us to do that. So what is your Goliath? What is the very thing in your life that you know just, just causes you to implode within the core of your being? Whenever that Goliath comes up, you fall apart. What is that fear? Is it possibly the fear of losing control? If you're a mama, yes, you're, you're the hen. You're the one who's just covering the chicks. And then you have the roosters trying to make sure everything's taken care of and problem solver. But you're the one just looking over, and sometimes you want to just take over and control the environment and make sure they're safe. But is that consuming you to where you think you have to be the one who's in control? I just want to encourage you. The same thing with you guys. Sometimes we need to be in control. We always want to make sure we're on top and just being the one with the power. We get angry whenever things don't go our way. Is that a Goliath in your life? Whichever the Goliath, remember one thing. The fear will always exist. We cannot be bigger than our Goliaths. Something or someone needs to be bigger. The heart of David comes down to this. We need to be resolved. We need to be resilient. We know we have a redeemer on our side. Let's do that this week. Let's trust God to face our Goliaths, no longer falling away. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for reminding us that we're not to run away or avoid our Goliaths. 
That's also a form of control. But help us, Lord, to face our Goliaths, our fears, and fight just like David did. He went out and struck the lion and the bear, and he said, I'll do the same with this Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a resolve and a resilience and know that you are the Redeemer who will overcome all of our Goliaths. I pray that we as your people will simply stop trying to make more commitments to overcome these Goliaths or try to be bigger than the Goliath, but that we would surrender, surrender our lives to you and focus on you and then know that you will have our back when we have all these Goliaths around us. God, help us to surrender today. And I pray that your people here at Grace Church will see the importance that when we focus on you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things be added unto you, that we can reach those who are far away, that we can have that relationship with you and share it with others. Oh God, please let this be a supernova in our lives. Let our faith collide with our area of control and let a supernova happen to where we could be a testimony to those around us. We love you. May you give us a heart of David. May you give us a passion to fight for you. In Jesus' name, amen.